Welcome back to Ew, That's Creepy. Today, we are continuing our possession theme, and Jackie has a brand new story for us. She will be discussing the possession of Sumitra Singh, a young woman possessed by the spirit of a suspected murder victim from a nearby town. Please be aware that this episode will discuss violence and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we are here with another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy, and today I'm going to be telling Melissa a story, a little possession story, something slight. <laughs> I love how possession is something slight for Jackie. <laughs> just something little, you know, since it's October, just a little bit of spookiness. Like that one time I was possessed in college for a week, like you remember that. Well, the story, the one that I picked is kind of different, not like your typical demonic possession story, so... Mine is too. Did we pick the same one? Mine's in India. Okay, no. All right, I was gonna say... (laughs) Yay. Thank God. So, let's just get right into it. Mine is about Sumitra Singh. I like that name. Yeah, it's a good one. And around the time that this, like, the main story happened, she was 17 years old. She was a young married woman living with her husband and their one child in her husband's family home, which is according to uh, custom in India. And they lived in a village called Sharifpura in the Farakabad district of the state of Uttar Pradesh, India. Okay. I'm doing my best with pronunciation, everybody, so please don't slay me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm trying. You know what we should do next time? We should have up when you make, like, Google read it, and we could just be like... I know, right? But I swear sometimes they don't actually read it right, you know? True. Anyway, early in 1985, Sumitra began to develop some episodes of loss of consciousness, which were also associated with, like... Eye movements, rapid eye movements, and uh, clenching of the teeth and the jaw. Didn't that happen to you for a good bit? Your eyes would go crazy? Yeah, it would be like for one or two seconds. Okay. (laughs) Nothing like this. Not like episodes. This sounds almost like a seizure. Uh, Yeah, maybe. Sometimes she would speak in trance-like states during these episodes, And one day in July of 1985, she actually said that she was going to die three days later. Oh my god. When the day came, it was July 19th, and she actually did seem to die on that day. What? Several members of her family and other people in the village considered her dead because she became pulseless and, like, motionless, and her face was drained of blood like that of a dead person. Oh my gosh. So people had actually begun grieving and were obviously upset and kind of were planning Sumitra's funeral when she just unexpectedly revived and kind of came back to life. Do we know how long she was deceased? Not super long, like literally five minutes. 
But enough that she was, you know, motionless and unconscious and people were like, um, she looks dead. Poker with a stick? Yeah, like there weren't any doctors around or anything like that, so it's not like they could check that fast, but they just kind of assumed that was what happened. And she had said three days ago that she thought she was going to die that day. Yikes. So... After a brief period of confusion, she did, um, like, kind of come to, but she was behaving not like herself. She did not recognize the people around her and didn't recognize her family, and she actually said that her name was Shiva and that she had been murdered by her in-laws in a town called Dibiapur. What? Yeah. Okay, yeah, this was not what I was expecting. I thought you were just going to say she woke up and was the devil. No. So, she gave many details about this woman named Shiva Dawida and said that she had been, yeah, killed by her husband's family the night of May 18th, 1985. So that was like two months before Sumitra's death. And she, like, was stating a lot of details about this death. So, Sumitra's in-laws said that they knew nothing of a woman named Shiva, and they had never been to the town that she lived in. At first, they thought that Sumitra had either kind of, like, gone crazy or that she had become possessed by a spirit. But they didn't try to verify what she was saying because they just, like, Thought it was so outlandish. Yeah, it's in the 80s. Like, you can't just quickly Google something like that. Like, it would actually take time and effort way more than today. So, it wasn't like they were just going to track down these leads like that. Right. Which makes it even more strange because when you think about it, it's not like, oh, she saw the news or she read that on the internet. Like, where would she be getting this? Exactly. And I'm getting all my info on this. Well, not basically 95% of my info on this from a scholarly article from the 80s that really investigated this and it really considers the possibility of her family or Sumitra somehow hearing about this, about Shiva's death in the paper or something like that, and there's really no evidence that that could have happened. I'm not going to talk all about that, but if, like, I'm obviously going to link the articles, so if you want to really get into, like, did this is this some sort of spiritual thing, or did this just, like, happen subconsciously? Then obviously read the article, but I'm not yeah. going to get into the nitty-gritty details of it. Yeah, I just wonder if in 1980 would that even have been reported in the news for her to even see that. Well, yeah, a bit, but only really in her town. Like, not all over. Right. Like, it'd be something if we were saying it might be reported in, like, a small town of Pittsburgh, but it wasn't reported in, like, I'd say all of Allegheny County or anything gotcha. like that, to put it on a local little, news yeah, on a U.S. level. Okay. So, Ram Sia Tripathi, that is Shiva's father, she, or he, sorry, a month uh, after Sumitra's incidents, he had learned or heard a rumor when he was visiting Dibia Pur, that his deceased daughter had taken possession of a girl in a distant village. So he was actually in his daughter Shiva's village visiting when he heard this rumor that his deceased daughter Shiva had possessed a girl in, in a town nearby. What? Yeah, like it just happened out of random. 
What the hell? Two more months went by after he heard that rumor before he was able to verify any information on it. And he actually had someone from a village called Mira, which is close to Sharif Pura, visit Sumitra and her family to try to verify the information. And what this person found out and what they, like, gathered corresponded to what Shiva's life had been. And it was, like, accurate what um, this person was saying. And they obviously went back and told Ram, uh, Shiva's father, about this. Wow. So, on October 20th, 1985, Ram Sia went himself to Sharifpura with a relative to meet Sumitra, where she recognized him and said that that was her father and she was his daughter. What? Uh This is too much. Like... Yeah, and Sumitra also recognized at least 13 members of Shiva's family and circle of friends. This is crazy. I don't even know what to think about this. And I don't know if you're the family, if you're happy about this, if you're sad, if... Obviously, you're suspicious as hell that yeah. what she's saying is true. I want to know how to feel about it. Mixed emotions. Definitely. So, in addition to Sumitra's statements just saying that she was Shiva, she also had a, like, distinct change in personality. Sumitra's family said it was obviously noticeable to them. Sumitra's family uh, had... They come from a village where they didn't have a whole lot of education, Sumitra herself had no formal education. She had been taught a little bit how to read and write, but not fully. Uh, the Tripathis, Shiva's family on the other hand, were middle class, and Shiva's father was actually a lecturer in a college, and Shiva had been educated and earned a, B- or, um, a bachelor's degree. So after Sumitra's little quote-unquote death and revival, she changed her personality from kind of acting like uh, someone who didn't have an education, to be frank, into somebody who was educated and could read and write Hindi fluently. Yeah, and that's like, this is very telling when you're talking about someone who is living in a village compared to someone who actually has a bachelor's degree. That's a very large change. Uh, yeah. This is so interesting. Like, I wonder what exactly it was about her that I'm sure the way she spoke, but I know. Well, okay. We'll talk a little bit more just in detail about both women. So Sumitra was born in 1963. Um, her father had gone to work and tried to find employment in one of the textile mills in, and, she, or, um, Sumitra was actually left under the care of one of her cousins for a little bit because her parents were, you know, trying to find work and trying to earn money. So Sumitra lived for about eight years with her older cousin named Fool Mala in the village of Burpur, which was the neighboring district near, like, where her parents lived. Mm-hmm. And she had never attended school, as I said before, but her cousin had some schooling and taught her a little bit on how to read and write, very informally, but just a little bit. Okay. Uh, Sumitra was married around the age of 13, as in the traditional style of an arranged marriage, to Jagdish Singh, and she moved to her husband's village of Sharifpura, 
which was pretty close to where her dad was living. And after three years of marriage, she gave birth to a baby boy in December of 1984. And it was uh, a month or two after she actually had her child in early 1985 that she began to suffer from these periods of loss of consciousness, where she would be in this trance-like state. As I said, her eyes kind of rolling upwards and clenching her teeth and jaw. It's the child. He's taking her life from her. (laughs) Sometimes these spells, they lasted various, like, times. Some would be a few minutes. Some would be a full day. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Symmetra said after one of these episodes that she believed she had been possessed, and there were two occasions where she had, like, taken up other spirit personalities. What? One, she said that she had been a woman in Sharif Pura who had drowned herself in a well. The other, she was communicating as a male that said they had been, um a man in another state in India, and she gave facts about these people, but they weren't verified because, like, at this point, they really, her family was pretty confused. Wow. Yeah. So, her family did, sorry, were you going to say Sorry, was that before she predicted her own death, I'm assuming? Yeah, like, these episodes started basically at the very beginning of 1985, and she didn't predict her own death till, like, July 15th or so. So, so it had been a couple, yeah, it had been a couple months where she was having these episodes, and her family tried to get her, like, some help and take her to, like, a healer, but it didn't do a whole lot for her. So she obviously predicted her own death, where people said her respiration and pulse stopped, and her face was drained of blood. Multiple people had witnessed this and believed that she was dead uh, for a period of five minutes. And she said whenever she revived, it was like a day or so where she said basically nothing. And then whenever she did begin to talk, it was when she said she was Shiva and described the details of Shiva's life. This is so crazy. In the autumn of 1986, Sumitra became confused for a couple of hours and seemed to resume her personality. But then the Shiva personality kind of came back and controlled and kind of just, like, took over from that point. That's sad. Yeah. So, we'll talk a bit about Shiva. She was born in um, October of 1962. Her parents were a little more educated, uh, and she also was educated herself and graduated with a bachelor's degree in home economics. At the age of 18 and a half, she was married um, to Chida Lal, who he lived in the village of Dibipura. And Shiva gave birth to two children, who she nicknamed Tinku and Rinku. <laughs> <laughs> Tinku was about 18 months old, and Rinku less than six months old when Shiva passed, sadly. She was living in her husband's house with his family, according to, again, Indian customs. But there was friction that developed between Shiva and her in-laws, and her family kind of thinks that Shiva's education and her more urban manners might have irritated her in-laws or not have been, like, what they were expecting. Right. And Shiva did complain to her family that her mother-in-law had said before to go and hang herself. I mean, they were just really, like, not nice to her. Damn, mother-in-law. At one point, 
Shiva's father-in-law wrote to Shiva's father that maybe Shiva should move back with her family, but nothing really ever came of it. Poor Shiva. That must be so sad to feel so, like, unwanted by them. Hmm. Right? And they there was kind of a serious little quarrel in May of 1985. Shiva had been invited to attend the wedding of someone in her family, and her in-laws had said that she could go, but they, for whatever reason, changed their mind and did not let Shiva leave the house for the wedding. So on the evening of May 18th, 1985, Shiva's uncle, Brijesh Pethik, he lived in a village nearby, and I believe he went and visited Shiva or called her, I'm not sure exactly which, but Shiva had said that she was in, like, a fight with her in-laws and she was crying and said that her mother-in-law and one of her sisters-in-law had uh, beaten her up. Her uncle, Prajesh, said that she didn't seem depressed and she didn't talk about suicide or anything like that. She was just upset. And he tried to calm the family members and said that maybe Shiva's father should come over and try to, like, calm things down. But the next morning, Prajesh... And his brothers learned that Shiva had died in an accident, which is what her in-laws had said. Her dead body had been found on the railway tracks, and her in-laws said that she had thrown herself in front of a train and died. The study that I read interviewed five different people who saw Shiva's body on the morning of May 19th before it was cremated. They said it lay between two rails of a track on the railway station of Fafund which adjoins Diviapura. The body was intact, and therefore they determined that it hadn't been run over by the wheels of a train, which they thought was odd. And Brajesh, uh, Shiva's uncle, obviously remembered the fight they had the night before and asked the family to wait to cremate the body until Shiva's father could come. But her in-laws actually obtained permission from the authorities to cremate her body and did so at about 11 a.m. the next morning. I'm sure there's some law saying how that can happen, but how but what can, the F? Yeah, how the F can someone's in-laws have priority over blood? I know, right? After they had this huge fight with her, like, they were beating her up and all this stuff. I know. That just irritated me for her. <laughs> Shiva's in-laws said that they had noticed her uh, unexpected absence from the house the night before and had gone looking for her when they had found her body on the railway tracks and concluded that she had jumped in front of the train. Oh, yeah, and that's so likely that you are, you guys are the ones that found her, too. Yeah, and that's what they told authorities, but um, a lot of people in Shiva's family was obviously suspect about that, obviously because the fight that they had had the night of May 18th. There was also rumors going around Diviapura that people had seen Shiva's in-laws carrying her body down the railway the night that that happened, and... They explained it away, saying that they were taking Shiva to the hospital, but, like, that never happened, so what's up with that? Oh, my gosh. And the people, like, just in the town said that it was so dark that night that you could kind of put a body on the tracks and not a whole lot of people would notice. Brajesh had seen Shiva's body because he went there and he had noticed that only her head had been injured, which he thought was weird because if you throw yourself in front of the train, you're not just going to whip your head in front of it. Right. It's usually your whole entire body. Yeah. 
And it was also customary to have an inquest and autopsy done after accidental deaths. So they, obviously, Shiva's family thought it was odd that her in-laws had rushed to the cremation so soon when they specifically asked them to wait also for Shiva's father to be able to look at the body and stuff and decide that for himself. Right. So... Ram Sia, Shiva's father, filed a charge of murder. I guess you can do that in India. I'm not sure, obviously, exactly how it works. So basically, like, a wrongful death lawsuit? I guess so. So, Shiva's husband and father-in-law were arrested, but then released due to lack of evidence. And No! No! <laughs> Shiva's mother-in-law and sister-in-law actually absconded and, like, went on the run for some months, but eventually they were, they returned in 1986 and were arrested, but nothing ever really came from it, I think, because of lack of evidence. Damn it. Yeah. So, that's kind of really where things ended with the murder of Shiva, so let's get back to Shiva and Sumitra's you know, story. Oh my god, I thought you were going to say that's where things end. I was about to be like, I hate you. Well, it's sad that that kind of is how things end with Shiva's murder. But obviously, Shiva somehow came back two months later, after her death. And so people really were trying to quiz Sumitra, who basically was no longer Sumitra and was now Shiva, trying to quiz her and see if this was real. Mm -hmm. And... Sumitra identified many different things. Um, in partic- she had knowledge of different things that were Shiva's. In particular, a yellow sari that Shiva had owned, um, a watch that belonged to Shiva in the box that it was in, in Shiva's home, the order of Shiva's uncles, the order of their births, one of Shiva's nicknames that was used in her home, the name of two schools where Shiva had studied at, the pet names of Shiva's two children, the names of two friends of Shiva who happened to have the same name, the names of Shiva's two brothers, two of her sisters, two of her maternal uncles, a maternal aunt, and a nephew. Wow. There were also 12 members of Shiva's family and circle of friends whom Sumitra recognized in, like, photos and just in person. One being Shiva's mother. And people had tried to fool her and just tried to, like, show her pictures, being like, it's one of the people in these pictures. But uh, Sumitra said, no, it wasn't, and insisted that her mother was not among the group of women that they pointed to. Wow. And pointed out correctly who Shiva's mother were and ran to her and, like, basically embraced her and called her mother. In the box with the watch. There's nowhere that's going to be reported. If she says that there's a box with a watch and you go find it, like, what other explanation is there? And just, like, the nicknames of, like, her children. Like, I doubt that that was really put into things. Yeah. And when somebody showed Sumitra a picture of Shiva's sister-in-law, Rama Kanti, she said, this is Rama Kanti who hit me with a brick. (gasps) Oh! Yeah. Rama Kunti. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> take that as you will, girl. Yeah, I mean, I guess nothing is proven, but that's, wow, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah. So, did she say anything regarding the mother-in-law? No, not really. I mean, she said that her family-in-law killed her, but nothing's 
specific, really, about that. By the sister hitting her in the head with a brick? That is, yeah, she did say that. Oh, my gosh. Um, kind of on a sad note, Sumitra didn't recognize her own family, though, uh, and did not recognize her husband or her children or her father. Really didn't recognize anybody in her life. Um, she showed really no interest in her husband or her child either, and she kind of, like, wasn't going to abandon her child or anything because she was, like, this is, like, a duty as a mother in general, but she wasn't, like, showing them affection or anything like that. She didn't love them. No. And she just obviously continued to insist that she was Shiva. She even changed her style of dress and wore her sari in a different way and wore sandals, which Sumitra really had never done. And this was all dressing according to what Shiva's style had been. Oh my goodness. Uh, She also, from what I said before, had an improved ability to read and write, where before Sumitra couldn't necessarily read or write that well just here and there um she now wrote hindi very well and also like on her own accord like no one was forcing her but she continuously wrote letters and postcards to shiva's family oh my god Mm -hmm. and sumitra even said after this whole thing happened that she did have memories from, like, sh- in between Shiva's death to her awakening as Sumitra. Okay. She said that she had been brought before Lord Yama, the Hindi god of death, and that she saw people with their feet turned backwards being punished according to their karma, some being whipped, some being thrown into boiling water, and the goddess Santoshi Mata came to her aid and hid her under a plank on which Yama sat and, like, took care of her. And after some days, she begged for mercy from Yama, who agreed to send her back to Earth for seven more years. Why is Yama punishing people, though? Why was she sent to him? She did nothing wrong. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. I'm glad he took mercy on her. Yeah. And uh, it is sad, but... Sumitra actually lived the rest of her life as Shiva and kind of broke off from her family. Shut up. Yeah, in 1988, that was kind of, they lost contact with her and she kind of just like started contacting all of Shiva's family and growing close to them. Did they take her in, Shiva's family? I'm not exactly sure. I believe they did, but yeah, I don't think she like continued to live with her husband or her child, but I'm not exactly sure on that. She did... Um, tell Shiva's father that she did kind of feel weird being, like, Shiva, but in a different body, and that her body felt foreign to her and, like, odd. Um, Shiva, well, Sumitra, I don't really know. Sumitra, Shiva now inhibiting that body. Shiva, the woman formerly known as Sumitra. (laughs) Literally (laughs) died in, I believe, 1998. It was 13 years after she inhibited Sumitra's body. Wouldn't it have been Um, extra wild if it was the, like, exact seven years after she inhibited? I know, right? And I'm not even exactly sure how she died, but... uh, 
people have questioned, is this possession or is this some different form of, like, reincarnation? It's actually been called replacement reincarnation, where a spirit replaces another body permanently. Wow. Yeah. So, people don't really know, like, what exactly it was, but it was just odd. They say sometimes with um, that reincarnation that the person who lives has some sort of like birthmark of the person who died or like some weird connection with their physical body but really Sumitra didn't have that and she had exhibited these states of like possession before Before. that happened so it's really just odd and it's really really odd to me that um she exhibited signs of possession before uh Shiva even died so like who knows what would happen if Shiva had never died but it is like a sad and crazy story and it's like my mind is so blown because i want to say that this is psychosis like our last our episodes last week yeah maybe for some reason she went under a psychological yeah but the thing that i can't wrap my head around is how in the 1980s would you know this much detail about something that happened miles away yeah Seriously, even down to their sari that they wore and the exact style that they wore it and being able to pick out all those family members and recall Shiva's nicknames that only her family had really called her. Like, And the watch in the box is like, how? How? Because that's just something that you would know. Like, you wouldn't tell someone, I have this watch and I place it in this box. Right? There's just so many things. It's like, there's definitely something supernatural going on here something that crosses like the earthly dimension but it's just weird wondering what it is it's like maybe the god of death saw what happened to shriva and was like i'm sorry for sumitra but you deserve a second chance because this was crazy yeah i have no idea but regardless that's the story and it's crazy oh my god i'm gonna read all of your sources on that because i need to know all of the goods that was Wild. There aren't many sources, but there. it's like one of those things that I know it's obviously real because the article I found it in was a scholarly article and I did find pictures of Shiva and Sumitra. Like there were one or two other articles, but I think because this happened in India in the 1980s that it's not super documented or reported on the way it would be today. Did they look alike at all? No, not really. No. I mean, they were, like, similar ages and stuff like that, but no, not really. There was another question I was going to ask you. I can't remember it. I'm sure it'll come back. Has, were there any, and I'm assuming no, there were never any doctors or they never sought any psychological help? Not that I know of. Okay. I'm really not sure. Wow. Because, yeah, it's like there aren't a whole lot, every single detail that I wish I had. Like, there, it's just not. So that much I'm not sure of. Okay, I will be working on a script of <laughs> that because a documentary. That, that can make a documentary and a crazy like drama movie about, you know, like love and revenge and it's so sad for both of those women. It's really, it really sad that like basically two lives got taken in the matter of this event. Two women taken. Yeah. This sad. Also crazy, but sad. 
This reminds me, too, of the story we did on the Piranha family. And, like, it's very crazy in other cultures, obviously not in America. The family lines, the family lineage, and, like, the almost being trapped with your in-laws and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that is true. That's something that we take for granted a lot is, like, our own freedom of just where we live once we get married and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, damn, I am just happy to know my own identity after our past <laughs> three episodes. I know, right? All these episodes are just making me happy that I'm like, I'm like, Alive. live a normal life. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. But I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I wanted to do something supernatural since it's obviously October. Woo! We love spooky season. And I hope you guys like those stories. I hope that if anything, even if you guys don't like them, at least it can make you appreciate what you have a little bit more. Appreciate spooky season a little bit more knowing that um, we're okay. Exactly. And if you did like this... um, Give us a five-star rating and a good review and come follow us on Instagram and tell us about some other topics you want to hear us talk about. Yeah. Or tell us a crazy ghost story or a crazy story about someone creepy. We love it. We would love that. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. And we will see you guys next time on another episode. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats. <laughs>